This week on Wealth Track, the evolution of Warren Buffett from great investor to great business manager. I, I think what's neat about both his skill as an investor and his skill as a manager is that the approach uh, reflects a lot of common sense. It's easy to describe, it, it seems intuitive, but not a lot of people do it. Lawrence Cunningham, author of the best-selling Essays of Warren Buffett, Lessons for Corporate America, will join us this week on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Warren Buffett, the chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, is considered to be one of the greatest investors of all time. He has become an American icon, dispensing investment wisdom and commentary over the years through his annual shareholder letters and meetings where he and his longtime business partner, Charlie Munger, answer questions for hours on end about a wide range of topics. An industry has developed around Buffett of investment clubs, newsletters, and books mostly focused on his investment decisions. But there is another side to Buffett that has been deeply studied and researched by this week's guest, Buffett as a business manager worth emulating. Lawrence Cunningham's official title is a professor of law at George Washington University, but over the years he's become an acknowledged authority on corporate governance, culture, and law. He teaches business-related courses that span those fields. He's also a driving force behind George Washington University's Quality Shareholders Initiative, intended to research and report on quality shareholders, as they are dubbed by Warren Buffett, traditional investors that study individual companies, acquire substantial stakes in only a few, and hold them for the long term. Cunningham has authored two dozen books, several on Buffett, and is most famous in collaboration with him. The Essays of Warren Buffett, Lessons for Corporate America, which Cunningham self-published on Buffett's advice in 1997. It has become an international bestseller, translated into a dozen languages. His other books include Berkshire Beyond Buffett, The Enduring Value of Values, and Quality Investing, Owning the Best Companies for the Long Term. His latest book is Quality Shareholders, How the Best Managers Attract and Keep Them. He also writes a weekly column for MarketWatch, Cunningham's Quality Investing. Among Cunningham's many philanthropic activities over the years are his current membership with me on the board of the Museum of American Finance, the only independent museum in the U.S. devoted to a history of the finance system that made us the world's economic and innovation powerhouse. One of the most interesting aspects of Cunningham's work with and about Buffett is the revelation that there are really two Buffetts, one, the great investor that we all know about, but two, his later evolution into a great manager. Yeah, well, he started out as an investor and became famous that way. The first uh, 20 years of, of Berkshire Hathaway, he mainly bought common stocks of mostly big public companies. So that by the turn of the century, let's say around 2000, 80% of Berkshire's value was in common stocks of other companies that he had picked. And they had performed right. extraordinarily well. And so people recognized his acumen as an investor. Those, those investments were spinning off so much cash and his insurance businesses were spinning off so much cash that he began to acquire 100% of, of companies. So he bought companies and they became subsidiaries of Berkshire Hathaway. So that by around 2000, again, the, the ratio flipped only 20% of the value of the company was in marketable securities, common stocks, and 80% were in, 
was in operating businesses. And so from that point forward, he had to hone his, his managerial philosophy and, and skills. And the way he did it was to adopt a, a decentralized, trust-based, uh, autonomous culture. Uh, and so and I, I think what's neat about both his skill as an investor and his skill as a manager is that the approach uh, reflects a lot of common sense. It's easy to describe. It, it seems intuitive, but not a lot of people do it, right? So on mm -hmm. the investing side, it's a disciplined, fundamental approach that seeks to buy stocks that uh, are low in price compared to their value. He calls that the margin of safety. In right. the management side, he tries to buy companies that have very trustworthy managers and then give them enormous autonomy. And th this is what we call the margin of trust. So he insists he only buys businesses that are run by people he trusts. He does acquire a business uh, with a manager he can trust. He delegates almost entire autonomy uh, to that person. And so he has been, I think, enormously successful both as an investor and as a manager. And I think a lot of people can learn a lot from him. What are the in investment lessons that kind of that, you know, margin of safety that corporate managers can take from Buffett? I think the key one is that managers in operating their businesses, pricing their products, dealing with customers, managing employees and so on, are, are uh, well advised to think about the entire operation from the owner's perspective. That is, adopt a shareholder attitude and, and behave as if they're acting primarily for the shareholder. So it's an investor's viewpoint in the right. managerial role. Uh, and I think that's probably his, his the principal overarching uh, lesson is this, and he, he calls it owner-related re business principles. And he's got mm -hmm. 14 of them that basically the, the essays begin with, with those 14. And What are the most important owner-related business principles that Warren Buffett shares with corporate managers? Well, I think that probably the, the, the most important category, or, the, or maybe yeah. it's just, just the first one altogether, uh, is that the ideal manager also owns a substantial portion of the stock of a company. And, and that's okay. true for the CEO and, and the other top managers, as well as for the board of directors. He, and that ownership should be bought with that person's own cash, and not through stock options or stock okay. grants or other things. That's the ideal. Uh, at, he says that then, then the, the manager, the director truly walks in the shoes of owners. The second one is to focus on the business as a business. That is to take care of your customers, take care of your uh, employees and suppliers and, and everyone else, and not worry about what the stock market might think. Here, mm -hmm. here the big emphasis, this is an investment and a management principle. There's right. a big difference between what the business is worth, the intrinsic value, let's say, and, and what it, the stock price is trading at. Sometimes they're closely related, but they can get out of whack, higher yes. or lower. And his big concern with, with, is with, with managers who pay more attention to the stock price than to the business. This can lead to short-term thinking, myopic thinking, failing to develop strategic initiatives and, and to give yourself the time to, to let things work. Well, I tell you, it's one thing for Warren Buffett to say that because he is he's an icon. Uh, I mean, even now he's being criticized for various things, but... Um, but honestly, you know, most 
managers, CEOs of public companies. I mean, number one, you know, owning a significant chunk of the stock, a lot of them get it, as you said, through stock options. That's not the way that, that Buffett thinks that they should get it. They should put up their own money. But CEOs have been, you know, criticized for, uh, you know, for the wealth that they're accumulated through the appreciation of their stock prices. So it's almost like you're in a situation where you can't win. And as a CEO, if you don't pay attention to the stock price, you're just going to get hounded in every quarterly meeting if the stock is underperforming. So it's really hard to be able to uh, execute long-term when you've got so many short-term pressures that could actually cost you your job. That's why I think the book is important and, and yeah. why it's the, the lessons, I, we call, I call it Lessons for Corporate America because it, it's a lesson book both for managers and for investors because you're absolutely okay, right. right. That, uh, there are a lot of short-term investors. Much of Wall Street is Wall Street upon right. Right, quarterly earnings and then there's guidance about the next quarter. And so there, there's tremendous pressure to focus on the quarter and that, that creates myopia. It can create even gamesmanship in the calculation of earnings and so on. And this is what yes. Warren is you know, preaching against, saying, look, have a long-term view. Think about not, don't think about the stock price. Think about whether this organic initiative, this, this new product you're going to develop is going to deliver long-term value for the company, for the stock, mm-hmm. stockholders and mm-hmm. employees. Even if it costs you short-term, again, you, you've got to be able to have the, you know, the board backing you because long-term investments cost money short-term, and that that can hurt the bottom line, right? Exactly. So all three of those groups, the managers, the shareholders, right. and the board. And are, the board. Yeah, they benefit from the lesson of long-term thinking, of focusing on the business rather than the stock. But you're absolutely right. that The, the, the reason, you know, Carl uh, Warren's an icon, right, is, is that not everybody can ex- exercise that discipline. Let's talk about the transition that you alluded to earlier of the that Warren Buffett made from the investor looking at the margin of safety to what you call, and he calls the margin of trust, actually buying companies and becoming more of a holding company. So talk to us about that transition. Yeah, it was a fascinating transition. And I think he learned as an investor, he had the opportunity to join a lot of corporate boards. I think counting them all up, he served on 18 boards. So he saw a lot of different management styles and a lot of different executives. He, he, he knew um, the textbooks and the variations. And so as he became the owner of entire businesses, you know, he had a, a, a knowledge base to, to build on it. What made most sense to him was he, he didn't want to manage all these companies. And I, I don't think he could manage the, the, the massive <laughs> size of them. Uh, and so he needed to find people who could. And he decided the only people I'm going to um, go into business with are people who I like, trust, and admire. He's very skeptical of, of human nature, I think. I think he thinks uh, you know, a lot of people will act for themselves and not for the shareholders or, or act for themselves and not for the partnership. And so he became very picky about with whom he'd go into business. But then when he found trustworthy people to go into business with, he gave them almost total autonomy and just trusted them to, to run their individual businesses and, and it's been a, a remarkably successful formula. You know, I've talked to the managers who he's selected and, and given this autonomy to, and what they uniformly report is that they have never been given so much trust 
in their careers, and yet they have never felt more accountable. So it's an interesting uh, approach. A lot of people think the more control a supervisor has over the underlying, the, the better off people are. He's showing that the opposite is true. Let me ask you about what has become a, a very popular uh, theme in management and how Warren Buffett fits into it. It's mo this movement called conscious capitalism. And, and the way it's been kind of portrayed is that really the shareholders are, are not the most important uh, party, but it's a group of stakeholders. And how does Warren Buffett fit into this new theme, and how does he feel about it? Well, I'd say that he has been practicing this approach uh, his whole life, and that the, the approach is, is really far more uh, traditional and old-fashioned than the current uh, talk uh, and fashion uh, would suggest. And right. let me back up a little. I, I think that the target of the contemporary conversation was a more extreme version than Warren has ever believed in. It was popularized by Milton Friedman, the economist who wrote right, a famous right. New York Times op-ed saying that the um, the sole purpose of a business is to make money for stockholders. And, and, and some people have ran with that idea and uh, thought that the shareholders were the primary and most important and delivering every penny you could to them was the mission and mandate of the company and of the board and, and of the managers. And he wants the company, wants people to appreciate that the company or shares of the company are owned by the shareholders and, mm -hmm. and the fiduciary duties of the managers and the board runs to those shareholders. But in order to deliver value for shareholders, the company has to take care of its employees, has to protect right. them, reward them, give them incentives, keep them happy. And it has to protect its customers, deliver products, goods, and services that they want at a price that is attractive, that uh, keeps up with the times, that provides warranties, that keeps, uh, and, and brought more broadly, is a conscious uh, member of society. So mm -hmm. not degrading the earth, <laughs> not abusing uh, communities, and, and so on. So I, Warren has always, always had that view. Another part of the contemporary debate, and again, which has been critical of Warren Buffett, the way Berkshire Hathaway has been run, is the lack of you know independent boards of directors, um, and uh, and also the lack of diversity in management. Uh, so those are you know just two of the the what activists have really uh, been pressuring him on. And what is your view of how he stands in regards to both of those? criteria. Before 1980 and even, even into about 1995, it was a friends and family board. Right. Uh, it was Warren, his wife, his son, his best friend, his, his second best friend, <laughs> and, and his business friend. And th that was it. Uh, and the independence movement um, uh, got to Berkshire. And so uh, uh -huh. stock exchange rules began to require it. And there was just enough, enough sense that it, it, he shouldn't have simply a friends and family board uh, and so he expanded, I think it was in 2002, he began to put more independent people on. Uh, and today, I think they have 16 people now, but over that time, um, he, he, they did install uh, directors that are were, you know, re really independent by any, mm -hmm. any test. People who, you know, they, they weren't his, his, some people might be 
uh, officially independent and not having any business relationships, but they were still close friends of Warren's. But he, he, they put on several people that didn't really have any prior relationship uh, with him at all. And so they, they could, uh, if need be, you know, stiffen their spines and, and tell them that you're not allowed to do that. So I, I think the board is, Warren, the Berkshire board has, has uh, adhered to that aspect of the trend uh, and, and I think deserves credit for that. If, if I can move to that one about just more general diversity throughout Berkshire Hathaway. Right. Um, and the related um, topic of disclosure of environmental, uh, climate-related uh, quarter yes. footprint. This, this was a big topic at, at Berkshire's annual meeting this year because uh, institutional shareholders had put proposals into the proxy statement asking for the board to adopt an approach to unit-level disclosure of the diversity in the workforce and of um, carbon footprint, right? And uh, hot topic. So, and 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 you know, the shareholders, you know, earnestly believe that it would help the company and and broader social concerns for Berkshire to produce that information at its at, at the board level. Right, those the shareholders who propose them. Right, the shareholders propose this. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So the the diversity proposal was uh, put forward by uh, a. a an active an activist shareholder who you know, puts a lot of energy into this, um, and, and the other was uh, put out by by Calpers, the, the big mm-hmm, California sure. pension fund, uh, joined by a couple of others, uh, and so they put forth their argument about why this unit board based unit level disclosure of diversity in the workforce and, and climate impact would be useful. The board's response was that we think these are very important topics too. And we think the approach that we're taking is actually the way to deliver results in that regard. And then they explained, they said, Berkshire Hathaway has no centralized managerial functions. It's, mm-hmm. it's Warren and a, a team of about 20 people in Omaha, and then 80 different operating subsidiaries, each of which has almost entire autonomy to run their business along that trust-based model that we talked about earlier. Right. And so. Uh, you've got BNSF Railway, all with its own team of HR, of environmental, and its own environmental impact uh, group, uh, its own strategies for trying to reduce emissions in, in rail traffic and so on. And likewise, at the energy company, it's, it's an autonomous unit with its own uh, way of recruiting, training, promoting, and, and thinking about wind and solar and hydrogen and, and, and uh you know, uh, carbon sequestration and so on. And so what the board said is that we, we, we at, at Berkshire, the best, we believe that we, we do best on diversity in hiring and, and retention mm-hmm. and do best in terms of emissions management by letting the CEOs of those entities um, lead on that, the right. board said. If we started trying to say, okay, you need to report up to us on, on HR and on environment, and then we're going to collect all that data. You would. This is what the board said. You would undermine the the value that we've created through this trust based approach, and that would include hurting diversity efforts, hurting emissions management efforts. And so that that was the case, and that was the debate. And I thought it was a very interesting debate that, very. that they put. And the voting result was twenty five percent. I think this is about right. Twenty five percent of the total shares supported both each of those proposals 
and 75 percent uh, were, were opposed. Is there anything that Warren Buffett's done wrong, possibly that would be a lesson uh, that we could learn, that corporate America could learn uh, from Warren Buffett of a mistake he's made? Yeah, I, he's made many. And, and one of the neat things about the, the essays is, is the candor. It's right. an example of a category of things where he usually does, does things exactly right, but he's, but he's quite frequently, he's on a bunch of occasions made, made a mistake. And the, 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 the lesson, the positive thing is, in life and in business and investing, um, have a partner, uh, a number two in, in the business world, or spouse, or just a partner, uh, uh -huh. to run all important issues by and listen to what they have to say. And so his partner in this matter is is Charlie Munger, the vice chairman of the company, uh, right. an astute investor and businessman and lawyer. And Warren has said, I, al I almost always run any investment idea by Charlie. And most of the time he says yes, but he will often say no. And he says no to some of his Warren's neatest ideas. And so Warren has given him the nickname, the abominable no man. Um, <laughs> and Warren's mistake it, on a few occasions has been doing something Charlie said no to. For instance, the 1999 acquisition of Gen Ray, the largest reinsurance company in the world. And right. A very big acquisition then. I think it was $27 billion, which would be four or five times that today, but a very large acquisition. And um, he ran it by Charlie, and Charlie said, no, I, I don't really understand the derivatives uh, uh -huh. part of their oh. business and the hedging, and it just looks like a you know, can of worms. I, I wouldn't do it. And Warren went ahead and did it. <laughs> and and lo and behold, they had a huge book of derivatives problems, and it took them years and years to unwind them and huge, huge losses. Now, right. eventually the company turned the corner, and, and it's been prosperous. But they lost a lot of money, and yep. and Warren owns up to it, it that uh, he didn't listen to Charlie and should have. And so I, I always take that, and I, I think it's useful investment advice. If you're you're about to pull the trigger on something, it's it's good to have a, a, a trusted partner uh, to run it by and, and listen to them. All right, last question. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what would you have all of us own some of? And I know you're not a money manager, but... I'm happy to take the question, and I, I assume that I'm not allowed simply to punt and say Berkshire Hathaway. So, uh, although that, in, I, I've got a very um, focused portfolio besides the usual 40k diversity. Of my, the stocks I've picked are fairly limited. Berkshire is an, uh, um, one of my favorites; has been a right. for a long time. But I would, but in that same spirit, my pick or suggestion for for this uh, question is Markel. Corporation. This is a sure. uh, mini Berkshire Hathaway by conscious mm -hmm. design. It's a Richmond, Virginia-based third-generation um, insurance company run by a fellow named Tom Gaynor. And right. Tom was a young analyst at that insurance company in the mid-'80s when he came across Berkshire Hathaway and um, did his research and uh, decided that Markel ought to make investments ought to buy stock. And, and they did uh, in, in what turned out to be a significant quantity. And, and Markel is one of Berkshire's largest shareholders today. And what that, what's great about that company, it's, it's a mini Berkshire in the sense it follows all the lessons that are in Lessons for Corporate America. They think mm -hmm. like owners. They focus on the business, not on the stock price. They focus very long term. 
They are very good at uh, pricing insurance. They take care of their customers. They pay their claims promptly. They love their employees. People have very long tenures there. Um, and they've delivered sustained returns on invested capital. Uh, as you say, I'm not an investment manager, so that's not investment advice, but it's certainly worth your viewers take, taking a look at Markel. Great. Thank you, Larry Cunningham. Thanks so much for joining us on WealthTrack. Thank you, Cuntswell. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. With the economy reopening, people are traveling again and actually leaving home to take a vacation. So we are recommending some books to take with you. This week's action point is read Larry Cunningham's The Essays of Warren Buffett, Lessons for Corporate America. Now in its fifth edition, it was self-published by Cunningham at Warren Buffett's recommendation in 1997 and has become an international bestseller translated into a dozen languages. The Barnes & Noble overview reads, as the book Buffett autographs most, his popularity and longevity attest to the widespread appetite for this unique compilation of Buffett's thoughts that is at once comprehensive, non-repetitive, and digestible. New and experienced readers alike will gain an invaluable informal education by perusing this classic arrangement of Warren's best writings. I might add that it is also a fascinating history of Buffett's evolution from being primarily an investor to becoming a manager of multiple businesses and what he learned along the way. Well, next week in a WealthTrack exclusive, U.S. Treasury bond manager Robert Kessler will share his strongly held contrarian views. In this week's extra feature, how Cunningham developed his quarter of a century partnership with the Oracle of Omaha. Also, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.